TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by a lady who needs no introduction. Any of you who have been remotely following the Wellness Guys, the Wellness Couch, that paleo show, um, health and wellness anywhere in Australia and around the world should know of this lady, Cindy O'Meara. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brett. I'm not even going to bother doing an intro for you, Cindy, because you're awesome, and everyone who listens to this show already knows all about you. Um, but for those who don't, give us give us the 10-second the spiel <laughs> about you, Cindy. Oh, 10 seconds spill, Cindy Jim, <laughs> born 1960, passion for food and nutrition and have, have put it into a business, love my children and my husband, um, and I'm one of the up for chatters. There you go. Oh, All right. Seconds. You've done well. That was really impressive, actually. I would never have gotten 10 seconds on mine, so you've done really well. Um, Cindy, you obviously, you do amazing stuff. I love you, Cindy. I'm a, I'm a fan <laughs> of Cindy O'Meara. Um, I love what you do because you're so genuine. Um, you're so passionate. You're so principled in everything you do. You know, I, I, you, you know, I can, I can, I can go and look at anything around the world when it comes to health and wellness, and I can say, "Yep, Cindy, would be into that," and Cindy wouldn't be into that because you have such a firm philosophy. You have a, such a firm grasp of what you know fits into your sphere, and I love that. So, what is your philosophy, Cindy, and where did it come from? And I think philosophy is probably one of the most important things for people to have because it's a guiding, it guides you through the maze of information that's out there that's conflicting. And when you have a philosophy that's based on, and mine is based on um, something called vitalism and culture and tradition. So when it's, it's based on that, you can look at research, you can look at news articles, you can look at diets, you can look at anything that's going on in your world, not, not just in health but in finance and everything, and you can choose what's morally and ethically right for you in a sustainable way. And, and so my philosophy came from my dad. My dad was a pharmacist and he um, became a chiropractor and he went from a philosophy of mechanism which is very much what the medical model is based on, to a philosophy of vitalism, which is where we look at not just a, um, the heart, but we look at the whole body, but then we go further than the whole body and we look at the environment as well, as well as relationships and how we think. And So when I'm looking at research and I see something like, if you don't eat breakfast, you'll lose weight. Mm-hmm. You know, And I look at that and I go, something funny there. Um, yes, you'll lose weight because you're not eating any food, but what's the research really telling you? So then I, I then go to the article and I read it and I see that it's actually not about losing weight. It's actually about um, Uncle Toby's or Quaker Oats, I think it was, this one I'm thinking of. It was about Quaker Oats wanting to prove that their oats helped people decrease their cholesterol levels. <laughs> <laughs> and it was financed by Pepsi. So, you know, this is... And, and, you know, like when you have a look at companies that are financing um, science experiments, especially ones like that, and then they come up with a totally different angle on on it, um, and I have no idea why that angle even got hit. Some media took it up and, and ran with it. You, you actually 
um, are guided the right way and and you, you don't want anything to do with companies that are not thinking about the planet and Mother Earth and um, and and sustainability and, and being ethical and moral about the things that they're doing. So, yeah, um, I guess that's my guide is, is that what my father taught me at a very young age and I've just taken that from chiropractic to nutrition. Yeah. Um, but I also take it in parenting and you know, friendships and everything because they're all really important aspects of our health. Yeah, well, I love it, Cindy. I love your philosophy. You know, you've come around to my house for dinner and we sat around and chatted and, and we're just so on the same wavelength with that sort of stuff. So it's, it's absolutely wonderful. It's, it's, so, it's a joy to hear that philosophy and to see someone living that philosophy and expressing that philosophy in everything they do in their life, you know, be it personally, be it in business, be it in their relationships. You know, you can just see the way it flows through. So, but, you know, we're kind of in the age of science at the moment, Cindy, where, you know, it's almost the culture of science at the moment where everyone's saying, well, forget about philosophy, it's all about science. And not only is it all about science, it's all about a particular, you know, branch of science. It's all about really, you know, double-blind randomized control studies. And if you can't prove it with a double-randomized control study, then it doesn't exist, um, unless, of course, it's something that's already established in modern medicine, and then, you know, you don't need double-blind randomized control studies, you can just keep doing it anyway, right? So, um, you know, what, how do we find the balance between philosophy and science, Cindy? Because it seems like it's been totally lost at the moment. Yeah, and there are some things that the eye can't see, and there are some things that science can't measure, and I heard somebody on a documentary I was listening to yesterday say it really well. And they said that science is an absolute and science isn't always the truth, but science is a story being told chapter by chapter. And sometimes we don't know what the end of the story is about until we continue to, you know, go through each of the chapters and write the chapters. And I, I thought that that was a really good way of expressing the the craziest we now have about evidence-based. Mm-hmm. There are, are some things that we cannot even figure out how it happens. Like how does an atom spinning on one side of the planet change an atom on the other side of the planet, which we know through quantum physics happens? And how does somebody thinking about somebody on the other side of the planet, then that person calls them immediately? So I just feel sometimes that um, science can't explain everything and science is, is mechanistic, not vitalistic. It's very mechanistic. And, and I, I have a real, like, I use science in my education program. I've used science in my documentary. I use science in, in everything. And do I cherry pick or do I just use the ones that work with my philosophy? So as my dad can say, you can prove or disprove anything with science. It depends on what your hypothesis is and who's paying the rent. <laughs> so I look I know science is is the god at the moment it used to be god that was god but now it's science is the god and I think people have to be a little bit questioning about um who financed it what was mm. the theory has it been backed up was it a large study um and this double blind stuff I just kind of go you know what <laughs> We need to just get on with life and we need to realise that science helps us understand our cultures and traditions. Why did we use um, eat nadu and why did we cook it and, and do the right things by it? How did we consume foods? What foods did we eat as a result for us to survive for millions of years as opposed to science now saying, 
oh, margarine's good for you, white flour's fine, eat more grains, uh, you know. So I think as well as as well as well having that science there, we have to also look at history to see where they made mistakes versus where did they go right in order for us to be where we are right now. That's such a great point, Cindy, because I think, you know, we talk about philosophy and science and so many, it seems like people want to have one or the other. You know, people are like, well, it's all about philosophy or it's all about science. But actually, you can't have one without the other. You know, and what you're saying is that, you know, we need to use our philosophy and we need to use our history to drive our science to make sure that we're actually asking the right questions. Exactly. And it is about asking the right questions. Always ask a better question because when you ask a better question, you will get a better answer. So, um, and, and asking the right question, we, we need to have uh, some guide that helps us ask those right questions. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned evidence-based medicine before, Cindy. And, you know, when we look at the gold standard of evidence-based medicine, they don't say you need to just base everything on the research. They say that actually isn't the best way to go about it because that can be biased, that can be reductionistic, that can just, you know, be mechanistic. It, It can just look at one aspect of it. And so what they actually say is the gold standard is that you should look at the research, but you should also take into account practitioner experience and you should also take into account the preference of the patient in front of you. And, and, and those extra two points just seem to continually get lost. I know, you know certainly from my experience with chiropractic, you know, that there's, there's such a focus on the research and, and often not recognising the research that is there, um, but also there's such an, an ignorance of the practitioner experience. You know, we have practitioners who've been doing this for decades and getting amazing results, but we just want to throw that all out and, and sort of bow down to this God of science. And you would see the same thing, I'm sure, in the nutrition industry, Cindy. You've been doing this for a long time, um, but there will be people who will want to just throw out you know, your experience as a practitioner and your experience with, with patients and clients and say, well, no, it's, that, that's all rubbish now because here's a new piece of research funded by whoever that says the opposite. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> and it, it, it does make me giggle. It really does because, you know, like um, there's just this huge array of dietary advice there, out there at the moment and, um, and when you look at the science that said that we should be having low fat, you know, it's all coming out now that uh, it was actually cherry-picked and um, it was all based on a theory by one man who decided that he, he was pig-headed and come hell or high water, he was going to get his theory into the Heart Foundation in the US and, and now look at the pickle we're in. Look at it. Where, you yeah, know, like we yeah. have um, so many issues because of this low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet that everybody has been consuming for at least three or four decades now. And and it's all coming out now. So are they right this time? Is it sugar that's the problem? Or was it salt that's the problem? Or, you know, I, I just, I feel we're looking for the one pop wonder. Like um, it used to be salt caused hypertension. So let's take salt out of every prepared meal. Don't put salt on your diet. Then it was you know, fat was the problem. We shouldn't be eating any fat and everybody went pritikin or, you know, low fat and now it's sugar's the problem. And I'm like going, yeah, but sugar's been a part of our life or carbohydrates have been a part of our life for a long time. How can you just wipe that one out? Mm. And I I think that there's a balance. I don't say moderation. I hate that word, moderation, <laughs> because I would never have margarine in moderation. I'm not eating flavours in moderation. No, I'm no. not doing a lot of things in moderation. I'm not a fan of arsenic, Cindy. I don't, <laughs> exactly. I don't tend to put that into my diet. 
no, exactly. So this this old terminology, everything in moderation. I just want to barf every time I hear it. But um, I think real foods, getting back to our cultures and our traditions, looking at um, the vitalism of food. So when we look at the body, we look at the whole body. When we look at a food, we should be looking at the whole food, not the food for its saturated fat or the food for its sugar or the food for whatever protein or amino acid it's got in it. We should be looking at it because it is the way that we have consumed this food for millions of years and we have survived with that food. And and it's like even when people cut dairy out of their diet and say, "Well, we, we, you know, we shouldn't be eating it. We haven't genetically modified. We haven't genetically um, adapted to that." Well, there are there are um, there are many um, cultures still existing today. Example: the Himbas, or the the group that are in the Pamir. All they live on is fermented dairy and meat. Because there is no vegetables where they are. There are no vegetables in the Bibia and there are no vegetables in the Pamir, which is, you know, 14,000 feet above sea level in snow-covered mountains. And, and all they do is have their herds and they survive and they survive without the um, lifestyle issues that we now see in modern day who have a variety of foods from fruits and vegetables, nuts, seeds, eggs, meat, um, you know, poultry, um, fish, and and so on, and I I think what people don't realise is that we are destroying the very fabric of how we can digest food, and therefore less and less foods are available to us because we just don't have that we don't have that um, adaptability anymore, and that's what's really sad is that mm. we number one we can't adapt to the refined shelf stable <clears throat> foods of today. But number two, we're becoming less and less able to adapt to even the real foods of today. Like there are, you know, there are people that um, have allerg- allergies to so many foods that they're on meat and veg and that's it. Yeah. So, Cindy, um, you know, one of the most common questions I get from people who've been listening to Wellness Guys or listening to that paleo show or people who are coming to see me in the practice, you know, it's amazing how many of those people have now decided that they want to go on and either become a health practitioner or start their own business. I mean, we see this at the Wellness Summit. We see all these people who've been coming to see us at the Wellness Summit for a few years and now they're exhibitors there and they're running businesses and they're doing things. And And the question that I always get asked is, you know, I want to go and I want to study nutrition, uh, but I don't want to become a dietitian. I don't want to have to go through that education program and that philosophy that actually doesn't gel with my philosophy. You know, it's not what I think and I would find it incredibly frustrating to have to sit there and learn all about the food pyramid and why that's the bee's knees um, when that's not my take on it. And, you know, up until now, there's been, you know, there's been a few courses. Integrative nutrition has been quite a popular one for people to do. Um, you know, Mark Sisson has had some courses around some of the primal diet. Uh, but I feel like the course you've created, Cindy, is a bit of a game changer in that regard in terms of, you know, having that, that core, strong philosophy um, driven you know, driving some amazing evidence-based research, um, you know, using experts from all around the world to put together an education program for people so that they can, you know, they, they can be armed with this information to go out into the community. So tell us a bit about your course, Cindy. Yeah, well, I, I it's so funny. I've been thinking about this course for many years and I remember thinking, okay, People come up to me and they say, I want to do what you do, Cindy. I want to know what you know. What course can I do? And I would say, well, you can go and get your Bachelor of Science majoring in nutrition. 
Um, and then, you know, read my book and, and perhaps look at it more in a holistic point of view as opposed to a mechanistic point of view because very much the nutrition and dietetics courses are based on fat, salts, um, proteins and really breaking the food down and learning about um, those aspects and saying you've got to have 60 grams of this and 20 grams of that and 30 grams of this and it makes it really complicated. Oh, oh. Cindy, all you need to do is go, you know, if you have a friend who's in hospital, yeah. Go in and see and see the supplementary foods they're given inside a hospital and turn it over and read the list of ingredients. <laughs> I know. It's it's actually really scary. And when you have a look at the pig feeds or the nasogastric tube feeds, they're, um, they're really scary because they're made up of high fructose corn syrup, um, proteins, which is, is probably a concentrate, an isolate or a hydrolysate, um, minerals that are mined, vitamins that are synthetic, and um, they'll have a, probably some vegetable oil in there, maybe canola or something like that. And, you know, you can't even be sustained on that, let alone heal and get your immune system up. So I know when I was learning um, nutrition and then was about to go and do dietetics, I just I couldn't do my last year mm. because mm. I didn't agree with what I was going to have to teach in the hospital. Mm. You know, the, the carbohydrate, the high-carbohydrate diet for dietitians, the low-fat diet for heart disease, and this was 30-something years ago that I was bucking the system. So I... I just feel like for people who are starting out in life and they want to be a nutritionist, I think going and getting your Bachelor of Science, majoring in nutrition is a really good start. Then come and do my 12-month course, which is um, a course that starts with the first module on vitalism, the philosophy of vitalism and the philosophy or and cultures and traditions. So understanding our history in order for us to see our future. And then we just go through module by module um, building on the information so that, and there, there is extended information as well. So there's the actual um, the actual reading that you have to do and then we extend you. So I have people in my course that are medical doctors, chiropractors, osteopaths, pharmacists. I have solicitors, um, nurses, and I have this one um, girl who came to me and she said, I really want to be in your course, Cindy. I've done nutrition, I'm, I'm a registered dietitian, and I've done my PhD in cancer research and I want to be in it. And I went, what are you going to learn in my course? You know, like, look what you've done. And she just said, I just need to get this to come together. Nothing's gelling for me. So she's at module five or six at the moment and she said it's the very first time that she has sat down and it's all coming together and the philosophy is there and she's understanding it and she's so excited to graduate because she knows that once she graduates, she'll be able to go out into the community and help people. Now, I don't just have those people that are doing the course. I also have um, mums and dads doing the course and people that don't have a degree and haven't studied for 30 years. And, yes, it's challenging for them, but the, the challenge for them is that they have to put an assessment in. And so we guide them through that assessment. And it's not a pass or a fail. This is all based on critical thinking. So if we feel that you've read the information, you understand the information, you've written it down in a 200-word, um, you know, assignment that we think you understand it, then it is, it's, it's then positively um, given to you that the information that you doing so I just wanted mums and dads that was my aim I wanted mums and dads to understand 
that they can make a difference in their own lives and if they choose to make a difference in the, the, that of their community, it's a ripple effect because it was the mums and dads throughout the generations, the thousands of generations that passed down the knowledge for us in us to survive as human beings. So to have a degree in nutrition is all very well and good for therapeutic nutrition. But if you've got somebody who's on the breakfast cereal, cheese sandwich and Vegemite and pasta for dinner mm -hmm. and they're not well and all you do is say, hey, let's look at the ingredients that you have in your pantry. Let's have a look at the packaged foods. Let's have an information about this and let me show you how to make a simple meal. That's, you know, that you don't need a nutrition degree to do that. But in this day and age, credibility is really important. Mm, and so that's is. why I put the science in this. This is why I've, I've, I've gone into such detail about understanding about fats and proteins and cholesterol and, and all of the parts these things play in our body because everybody thinks cholesterol is bad, but it's not. It's really, really important. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. we go through that explanation, what does cholesterol do in the body? Well, why would we say that that's bad when this is what it's doing in the body? And so they come out with a, um, we have worldwide um, um, accreditation now. Um, we've just had accreditation from the Chiropractors Association of Australia where they've given us 25 hours over a two-year period for professional development for chiropractors. Um, we're, we're working with the rural um, medical doctors now, trying to get accreditation with them. So it means that um, more and more people um, will get this information. But what's really interesting is that our health minister, our national health minister, um, I think her name's Susan, the Honourable Susan Lay, has basically pointed out that our medical profession is not being taught the information it needs in order to bring nutrition into their doctor's office. Mm. And mm. what I see my beautiful uh, uh, graduates as is, is like for chiropractors, medical doctors, osteopaths, all these health professionals don't have the time to coach people, go to their homes, clean out their pantries, help them with their cooking, um, explain the protocols and programs, encourage people. And so it's about these guys going into professional clinics um, or just doing workshops to help people make the changes that are really important for um, the nation's health. Get back in the kitchen, we'll, we'll save these kids. That's the way I look at it. That's awesome, Cindy. It's so exciting. I, I love, once again, I love the whole philosophy behind it. I love the way you're, even just the way you're marking it. You know, I can remember at university, I did a philosophy exam at university and it had multiple choice answers, Cindy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it just, you know, it just infuriated me. It didn't make any sense. So, you know, you can see, as I said, you can see your philosophy flows through everything you do and so there's a guiding light, there's a guiding purpose behind it and I love it and it's fantastic. So, before we run out of time, Cindy, we haven't even spoken about your new documentary yet. Uh, but actually, before I say that, I'll let people know if they want to find out more about the education program, if they go to the show notes or if they go to the That Paleo Show Facebook page, they'll be able to find a link. They can click through and find out all about the education program. But let's talk about your new doco, Cindy. What's with wheat? Tell us all about it. Where did this come from? Very exciting. It's just been launched. Tell us all about it. Yeah. 
Well, you know, look, I did culture and traditions um, and I did anthropology through school and I knew when we started to eat wheat, it could have been up to 17, 24,000 years ago. And if you have a look at the Australian Aboriginal, they've been eating grain for even longer than um, the Northern Hemisphere was eating grain. And I, at the um, late age of in my 40s, um, started to gain weight, saw back. My husband's a chiropractor. But no matter what, it was always aching. I had um, stiffness in my joints and my fingers. A bit of anxiety was starting to come up at 3 in the morning. Dry skin, dry hair, everything was cracking up in me. And I thought, how can this be? I'm eating the same foods. I've always eaten real foods. We eat organic. I I, I make everything from scratch. So I did an elimination diet. And it was just meat and veg. That was it. And then after three weeks, I'd I'd lost nine kilos. I had gained my health again, sore back had gone, no more anxiety. Things were going unbelievable. And then I started to introduce foods. And the food that caused the biggest problem was wheat. And I went, hang on, how can this be? So I went on a bit of a journey um, and started to learn about wheat. And about a year after this journey started, um, Brian, uh, not Brian Davey, um, uh, the author of um, Wheat Belly. William Davis. William Davis. He um, bought that book out and I read that. And then Perlmutter bought the book out, Grain Brain. Mm. And more and more people were talking about it. And I was listening to Tom O'Brien on gluten and Alessio Fasano. And I just, I, I started to think, okay, people need to know about this. How am I going to do this? Yes, I can write a book on it. Um, but my husband actually came up with it. He says, why don't you do a documentary on it? And that's where it all started. And so we have interviewed people like David Perlmutter, Terry Wall, um, Natasha Campbell McBride from GAPS, Joel Salatin, the holistic farmer, um, Ian Garland, he's a medical doctor in Fifth Avenue, New York, who works nothing but the gut, Stephanie Seneff, who knows all about glyphosate, which is what they spray um, on the fields before they plant weed and they may use as a desiccant, sometimes in Australia but definitely in the US. Say a Jai who had written a whole thing on um, the grain, the double-edged sword. Um, Dr. Sarah Ballantyne who had cured herself of a, a disease because of it. Pete Evans, of course, because he can teach you how to make great foods without wheat. Kim Morrison who talks about wheat in skincare products. Um, Rodney Ford, who's a medical doctor in uh, the in um, in Christchurch, and he's known as the gluten doctor because he for 25 years has been taking people off gluten. Um, and then Sally Fallon, Mark Sisson, and of course the activist and amazing um, woman who is just saving India, Dr. Vandina Shiva. So I went and interviewed them all because they all had taught me something. I, I wanted William Davies. But he didn't. He said that he was doing other projects and he couldn't do my interview, mm-hmm. which I was really disappointed about. And I asked Kelly Brogan, and she got the wrong day, so I missed her as well. But you know, the people that are in this documentary explain the series of events, and it's it's around fourteen events that started in the nineteen twenties that to this day now has created the perfect storm, where we now have more and more people who have celiac wheat allergies and non-celiac gluten sensitivity and that's what the film's about it's it goes through the story the history you know I'm I'm about history so it goes through that history and it 
it explains what they've done to eat. And my final words in the documentary are, the story of wheat is the story of food. We must become more conscious about the production of our food. We don't know what they're doing to wheat. This documentary explains exactly, and I know that people will start to get ahas. They'll begin to realise why there is such an epidemic of wheat problems. Uh, and, you know, and, that, and that's what the documentary is about. It's, um, and and it, it's, I'm very proud of it. It's taken me a lot to get done. Um, I remember the editing process. I was, I had an expert come in and I wasn't happy with what he did. And so I sat down and I rearranged every part of it. And <laughs> I probably watched it a hundred times. I reckon I can do the whole documentary verbatim. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it is really exciting, Cindy. And as you said, it, it's not just about what's going on with wheat, but it's a reflection of what's going on with food in general. It's a reflection of what's going on in our society in general, in health in general. So I think there's going to be, as you said, some massive ahas there where people are going to be able to see that philosophy of yours shining through and see how you know the, the sort of questions you ask are going to be the sort of questions they need to ask about everything in their life if they want to live you know long, happy, healthy lives. So um, it's a really exciting project, Cindy. Um, obviously, um, you know, once again, we'll have details in the show notes and on our Facebook page about how people can find out about What's With Wheat. Um, you are going to have uh, some free online screenings are going to be available. People are going to be able to watch it for free online for a short period of time. So I would suggest to people to go to those links, click on, make sure you sign up um, so that you get the notifications when it comes live um, and you'll be able to actually watch the whole documentary for free, which would be amazing. So um, tell us about that, Cindy. When is that happening? How is that happening? Okay, so we've got um, the free online screening available from the 24th of June to the 30th of June. And if they go to the link in your show notes, they'll be able to, and I would recommend that they link through um, as soon as possible, put their name down so that they can um, be told when it's going to happen. So our first, um, we're going to do a, a live global online screen where I'll be there to answer any questions afterwards. I don't know how my team are doing this, but we'll be here in the office and we'll be, you know, going everywhere around the world and um, just talking about this, you know, what it's about. But we also have um, screenings in a couple of cities. Um, we've got Brisbane, Perth and Melbourne. Um, so if they go to your show notes and click on the link, they'll see when they're there. Yeah, and I do yeah. know that you're going to do um, a screening in Adelaide. I've got people doing screenings in yeah, Torquay. Yeah. All over Australia and the world, people are buying the rights to show the movie um, and inform people, you know. I know I'm going to get backlash from this because, you know, it's a powerful industry, the wheat industry. We grew 11 billion um, we grew enough wheat for 11 billion people last year. And, um, yeah, they're not going to be happy with me, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's so important. I think it's great information. As you said, I'll be screening it at least once in Adelaide. Um, hopefully that sells out and we can screen it a couple more times as well because uh, I think it's going to be massive and I think there are so many people who are going to want to see it and who need to see it. So really exciting. Well done, Cindy. Um, we're out of time, Cindy. So. For people who want to find out more about you, they can obviously go to changinghabits.com.au and find yep. out all about all the different projects you've got and all the amazing products you've got. I've got to say, Cindy, I made nut balls the other day and we put some of your dates in there <laughs> and they were amazing. They were so creamy and delicious. They were really, really good. So 
there you go. Um, just a little extra plug for your products there, but they are good. They were delicious. Um, so go to changinghabits.com.au, check it out. You can check out Cindy online on Facebook at Changing Habits, on Instagram, changing underscore habits. Um, thank you so much for coming on with us again today, Cindy. I'm sure we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you, Brett. Pleasure. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and it's helped grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.